Carrie, would you pray for our time together in the Word? Heavenly Father God, thank you for the privilege that you've afforded us today to come together, God, and to worship your name and to hear from you, God, to hear from your Word. Pray, God, that we would be responsive to it, God, that it would quicken us, Father, and that we would not delay, God, moving forward and repenting, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for conviction, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Well, Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus. God, you call us chosen, redeemed. Father, you've given us those who are in Christ the right to call you Abba, Daddy. Thank you, Father, for your great love that endures forever. Thank you, Father, that you are not man that you should lie, but that, God, you are faithful and you honor your word. We thank you, Father, that you've given us the living word. Father, we thank you, Lord, that it is your truth that sets us free. And, Lord, I pray, God, as we open up your word today, God, that we would be satisfied in Christ. That we would be whole, not broken or missing anything. And we would recognize that, Father, you complete us. You yourself said, peace I leave you, peace I give to you. And the peace in which you give is nothing this world could offer. <coughs> we thank you for that, Lord. And Father, we know there's many that are going through a trying time, Lord, battling sickness and facing great challenges ahead of them. But Father, we pray, God, that we would keep our eyes upon you, Father, that we will look up knowing, God, that you are for us and not against us. That our hope, if we are in Christ, is in Christ, in Christ alone, and our hope in you, Father, would never disappoint us. So as we open your word today, God, Lord, that you would give us a greater hunger and a thirst for righteousness. The Holy Spirit, that we would rely on you, for you have been given to us as our teacher, as our comforter, as our guide. And we know that this walk in Christ, this newness of life in Christ, is not done in our own strength. So it's a life that is dependent upon you. So come, Lord, have your way among us, and in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The third R to release. We have three R's that I've been reminding us throughout this year and hopes to encourage us to grow, to mature in our walk with Christ, repentance, resolve, and to release. We're looking at the third R today. Release the act of setting free or letting go. And some quotes that I've been sharing with us on letting go. The first one is from C.S. Lewis. Getting over a painful experience is much like crossing monkey bars. You have to let go at some point in order to move forward. The next one, decisions sometimes prove to be the hardest to make, especially when it's a choice between where you should be and where you really wanted to be. The third quote, let God have your life. He could do more with it than you can. It hurts to let go, but sometimes it hurts more to hold on. Let go of the past so that God can open the door to your future. When you finally let go, something better comes along. 
and then to heal your wound, you need to stop touching it. Quotes on letting go in hopes to really encourage us that there are things, people, incidences, things from our past or even from our present that we need to let go of. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, see if there's any wicked way within us. And that we would release ourselves through His power from that which hinders us growing and maturing in Christ. And a lot of the releasing that we need to do is the forgiving that is so desperately needed in our own lives. And forgiving others. Releasing ourselves from the past. Releasing ourselves from the pain. Releasing ourselves from the insecurities and the wounds that come from the victim mentality that we've lived with for so many years before Christ. Because once you come into Christ, you are born again. You're no longer a victim. You're now a victor. And you got to learn your new identity. But we can't get to the place of, of maturing to the place where we're able to release things and release people unless we be begin at the first R, repentance. Seeing yourself as a sinner. Seeing yourself as one that is in rebellion towards God. And yet God is so quick to forgive if we would just seek Him. The Bible says if you seek Him, you will find Him. If you seek Him with your whole heart, so to truly trust God, to truly see Him for who He is, to humble yourself, to repent. And then as you repent, you get up and you move into a new direction. That's why you have to resolve, you have to make up your mind. <laughs> to live differently, not in and of your own strength, not following religious rules, but trusting and believing wholeheartedly on Jesus Christ, that He's accomplished everything that He's set out to do and you can resolve you can make up your mind because we know what the bible says how does he transform us by changing the way we think so make up your mind go in a complete different opposite direction from which you were living when you were in bondage to the victim mentality to the sinful nature to the rebellion towards his throne and then as you're repenting as you're resolving, you begin to release. You begin to realize you're holding on to a lot of things that are weighing you down. But you're called to live in freedom. He who the Son has sets free is free indeed. And so we have some scriptures that I've been sharing with us over the year. The hope to encourage you to focus on what it means to release. So Proverbs 4, verse 25 through 27. Look straight ahead. And fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Ephesians 4, verse 31 through 32. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead... Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. 
but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed for me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Job 17, verse 9, The righteous keep moving forward, and those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. Philippians 4, verse 6-7, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need, and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. John 14, verse 27. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. In Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give is light. And finally, John 8, 36. So if the Son has set you free, you are truly free. To release, to let go. There's so much in this world that will love nothing more than to attach itself to our will, to our emotions, to our soul, to hold us down, to keep us enslaved and in bondage. But do we really grasp the fullness of when the Bible tells us, if the Son has set you free, you are truly free. Are you experienced the freedom in which Christ came to give us? Think about that. As you think about the past couple of weeks, what you've had to face, what you're going through, even maybe what's ahead of you this week and the weeks to come, do you understand that if you are in Christ, you've been liberated? You're to live differently. You're to act differently. You're to think. You're to think differently. You no longer belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. Not because He's forced you. No, but because God is pleased to reveal Himself to you through His Son Jesus. The world is chaotic. It's turned upside down. And I've been sharing with you, as if you are studying Scripture, you know it's just going to get worse. There's no way to turn it around. It's not turning around. We're heading towards the coming of our Lord. And we, as the people of God, should understand the times in which we are living, not to be oppressed by them, depressed by them, but to be encouraged by what we're seeing. And it should prompt us to be diligent, to be about our Father's business. 
before we can go out and tell others to repent, to others to resolve, to others to release, we've got to be living it. Before we can go out and share the gospel with others, share it with yourself. We have to be diligent and growing and maturing. I keep reminding us, and I know I probably sound like a broken record, but we are behind enemy lines as believers if you are in Christ. And we understand that the enemy is after our soul. He will have nothing more than to destroy us, to distract us, to discourage us. It's the enemy that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life, and life in abundance, but yet the created, we like the darkness more than we enjoy the light. And how sad is that? If you're not in Christ, You can be religious, doesn't make you in Christ. You can follow all the right rules and laws and do all the right things, but if you haven't been born again, you're not of Christ. You're still in rebellion towards God. Your position is not to be in rebellion. Your position is to be in relationship. And that relationship is not based on anything you have done or anything of you. It's all of Christ. Have you truly surrendered to Christ. And if you have, great is the warfare against you. The ones that are lost, the ones that are in the world, they have no concept of the freedom that is found in Christ. They just have a concept of me, myself, and I. Even if they're religious <laughs> Even if they slap Jesus on their foreheads, call themselves Christians, knowing good and well they bear no fruit, they're deceived, they're still in rebellion. But the enemy is waging war. The enemy is running amok. The principalities in the air and the rulers of the darkness are having a field day. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. Their time is coming. They have but a brief time to do what they're going to do. But God has already planned and God has already purposed eternity for those who are with Him and those who are against them. Death, death is not the final state for us. It's just a transitioning into eternity. Every created being was created for eternity, either with God or separated from God. But God is so pleased to reveal himself to us through his son Jesus that his hope is that none would perish. But we also understand the Bible already informs us not everyone is going to love Jesus. Not everyone is going to accept Jesus. There are so many that are against him and will remain against him. There is such a great rebellion taking place and will continue to take place. And oh, how our eyes need to be open 
to recognize it. Everything that was used to be in the dark is coming out. And the world is embracing it. And how sad. Because that which is good is now being pushed out. And the inmates are running the asylum. It's crazy. But you better be grounded, child of God. You better be rooted in Christ. You better know your identity. You better know who He is. You better use your time wisely. You better remain in Him. You better abide in Him. Because apart from Him, you can do nothing. And so I hope to encourage you with these scriptures we're going to look at this morning to encourage you to continue to persevere. Scriptures, again, that, are, that shouldn't be new to us, especially if you've been around here, you've seen them more than once, and yet we're going to open them up again in hopes, in hopes that they encourage you to persevere. I don't know what's ahead for you this week, but I can tell you this, the world is chaotic, the enemy is running amok, we're behind enemy lines, and you better learn how to use your sword. You better know what it means to stand and stand there for, then dress in the armor of God. You better be actively engaging in warfare, not in your own strength, but in the strength of the Holy Spirit. You better learn how to grow and mature in the knowledge of warfare, spiritual warfare. Not looking for demons everywhere, but understanding what it means to walk upright in a crooked, in, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Understanding what it means when the Bible tells us that sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to master you, but you must master it. There's a way in which you ought to be engaging in warfare. And if you're not, then God have mercy upon you. When I think of our brothers and sisters over in Afghanistan and what they are enduring, the amount of them that are being slaughtered, skinned alive, post on a post, left there just to die in agony. And as I read reports last night, how the, those that are hiding, those that have, have gone underground, they're being hunted down, and they're, and they're engaging in warfare through prayer. There's someone praying every hour for 24 hours, nonstop within their community, for the Lord's protection. The majority of us here in the West, basically all we do is a flippant prayer here and there. Are you engaged in warfare? Are you engaged in praying and sharing the gospel and living out your faith? Oh, how I pray that you are. Oh, how I pray that you are, that you are preparing for what's to come. I've been telling us, it's not church like it used to be in the 1970s and the 1980s. Church is different. Because church is not about a building. 
It's not about all the programs and all the stuff that we can do and accomplish. No, no. The church is about Christ. She is the bride of Christ. The church isn't a place you go. It's who you are. You are the church. You are the bride of Christ. You are a child of God. If you're in Christ, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a way in which you ought to be living and not just showing up and just doing, but no, living is everything you are now. You are a new creation and you are purposed for now. I keep encouraging you. Though it's getting darker out there, you should be getting brighter. You should be growing leaps and bounds. <laughs> you shouldn't be overwhelmed. But you should be on your knees crying out to God. Seeking Him. Honoring Him. Sharing your faith. Who have you shared your faith with this week? Who have you prayed for? How much time are you submitting to Christ daily? Or what are you giving yourself to? How? And I keep encouraging yourself, keep a journal. Track your time. What are you doing? How are you spending it? Because if you're spending it on the temporal stuff of life, then so is your life. No matter how religious you want to look on Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, or any other day, if it is not truly who you are, then what is it? Then what is it? We are the bride of Christ. And so when I think about our brothers and sisters over in Afghanistan, or the other parts of the earth where they're being persecuted for their faith, I say, God, help us. Help us, the church throughout the earth, to be able to stand in the assurance of who you are, to live as if we belong to you, because we do, and not keep denying you because we don't want to be uncomfortable. Oh, you're going to be uncomfortable because this world hates Jesus. The systems of this world hate Jesus. And if they hated him... They're going to hate you. They're going to push you out of society. But oh, child of God, can you stand? Can you reckon within yourself that God is good and God is just and God is right and God is holy? I keep encouraging us. God is not the problem. There's no error found in God. God is not stiff-arming man. Man is stiff-arming God because man wants to be God. But let him in, you all. He's our only hope. Each of us are going to face death. Each of us are dying. Every breath you take, every step you take is leading you to the grave. But do you have the hope of eternal life? Or are you clinging to the temporalness of life Afraid of dying. You ought not to be afraid of death. Jesus has already came and he has conquered it. It is no longer an enemy. Do you have the hope that you need to endure to the end? Because he who endures to the end shall be saved. Go to 2 Corinthians 
chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 1 through 15, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. And he's exposing to them yet again the false apostles, these false men who were coming into the church preaching a different gospel, trying to confuse the church on who she is and lure as many away from the truth all for the hopes of seeking, seeing them destroyed. These people are of the devil. He's out to steal and to kill and to destroy. But God, in His loving kindness, reveals Christ to us. We are drawn to Christ. We see our rebellion within us. We see that we are sinners. We humble ourselves and we freely receive what He's come to give. Salvation, forgiveness, restoration. Paul, verse 1, says, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please be bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God Himself. I promise you, look at this, I promise you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. Listen to what he's saying here to the church. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Highlight that. Circle that. Listen to what the man of God is saying to the church. That he has served diligently to equip them with the truth of God's word. To share the gospel with them. In hopes that their eyes would be open to the truth of Christ and that they would submit to the authority of Christ. And yet he says here, I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupt, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you. Even if they preach a different Jesus, than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you receive, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Comes to come to keep you enslaved to your selfishness, to your pain, to your wounds, to your hurts, to your insecurities. He wants you to remain a victim. And he wants to lie to you. He wants to create a false image of who God is. That's what the enemy does. The enemy comes and tells you 
how bad you are. He gives you no hope of redemption. In fact, he paints this picture of God as God being the one that's the problem. And so we believe the lie of the enemy and we resist God. We push against God. We rebel against God. And yet Jesus comes. The Holy Spirit convicts. He reveals to us our true nature, which is not good. We are sinners. We are in rebellion towards God. But it's not Christ who wants to keep us keep us at that position, at that place. He's come to set us free. He's pleased to reveal himself. I made a way out for you. Stop listening to the lie of the enemy that just keeps you down. Stop resisting me. I love you. I've made a way to restore you. Why are you fighting against me? Because you're believing a lie. The enemy is cunning. And he's after the souls of men and women. He's after to he's out to destroy God, that we would understand what we're dealing with here and why it's vital that you are in Christ, that you understand now that you are living in a place of victory, not a place of defeat, not a place of discouragement, not a place of despair, but a place of victory, of hope. Paul tells them, I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived from the beginning. The enemy's been out. But praise be to God, from the beginning, God declared that there would be one that will come that will crush the head of the enemy. And that one is Jesus. Jesus has already won you all. He's returning for his bride. Until then, we are to endure. We are to prepare for our bridegroom and our wedding feast. Oh, how I pray that you're preparing. Paul goes on here. But I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these super apostles who teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. Listen, these men are coming in. They look good. They sound good. But they're not good. Was I wrong, he goes on, when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you, I didn't have enough to live on. I did not become a, I did not become a financial burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. I have never been a burden to you, and I never will be. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in all of Greece 
will ever stop me from boasting about this. Why? Because I don't, why? Because I don't love you? God knows that I do. But I will continue doing what I have always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I'm not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment their wicked deeds deserve. Oh, do we hear that? Paul is not surprised by what is going on. He recognizes it for what it is. He's continuing to do the work. He's not giving up. He's not depressed. He's not, dis- he's not despaired. He- he's-, he's hopeful. But he recognized the enemy for who he is. It's the enemy. It's his servants that are appearing to be righteous and in Christ. Oh, we better wake up. We're told what the end times are going to look like. That people are going only want to hear preachers who are going to tickle their ears. Just teach us what we want to hear. Don't teach us about God. Just tell us how much God does for us and loves us. But don't let us know we're sinners and we need to repent. They're going to come in with false teachings. Teachings that are not even biblical, but yet they will use the Bible to promote their teachings. God help us. That's why I've always encouraged you. If you hear a gospel that is giving you the right to yourself, run from it. It's not the gospel. The true gospel of Jesus Christ. You're to deny yourself. You're to pick up the cross and follow him. This life in Christ is not going to be a cakewalk. You are going to endure. You're going to face many challenges and many trials. God and Christ is not our, they're not, it's not like a genie. It's not like a good luck charm. It's not about being superstitious. It's about trusting and believing in the one who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And from the beginning of the church, the enemy, the created man who has, who has created these religious institutions have tried to keep the word and the truth from the people of God. Because if the word and the truth can be kept from you, you are remain you remain ignorant. You're not informed. And you'll give in and give up. And you'll see him for in, in a way that's truly not who he is. And then you're no different than those in, in the world lost. Oh, we have to wake up, church. We have to wake up. We have to recognize that all of this is happening to bring about the return of Christ. Go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And the return of Christ isn't a bad thing. The return of Christ, you're not to be scared of. 
The return of Christ is what we're hoping for. And yet, if you talk to people, and even some Christians, they don't even want to talk about the return of Christ. They're petrified. They're terrified of what's coming to the earth. And that cannot be the position of a believer. You're to be hopeful for the return of Christ. These days that are upon us and the days that are to come, they're not, again, to overwhelm us. Yes, can it be overwhelming at times? Yes. Can you be fearful at times? Yes. Can you feel the weight of of oppression and depression? Yes. But please, child of God, don't stay there. Get up. Press in. Press on. Pray. Intercede. Serve. Don't allow these challenges to, to rule you. Learn how to utilize them for the good of the kingdom of God. As the enemy presses in, you press back. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Then resist the enemy, and he has to flee. You're not to be resisting God. You're to be resisting the enemy. And be careful. The the enemy loves nothing more than to find you, (coughs) to try to get you to a place where you're distracted and just comfortable in la-la land. Caught up in anything and everything else that can distract you from reading the word, from being in fellowship, from remaining in prayer. We're caught up and distracted by all this other temporal stuff. Laughing along with it, going along with it. Hours just sitting with it. And there's a war going on. What soldier would do that? Oh no, it's not church as it used to be. You better be diligent. You better be growing. Because again, just because you show up on a Sunday, or you say a little prayer, or you do this, or you do that, if it's not changing you, if you're not transforming, if there isn't fruit in your life, then what on earth are you doing? The return of Christ is upon us. I don't know the day, I don't know the hour. But he's returning. And the spirit of deception is rising. And I've been warning us over the years. The spirit of deception, it's increasing. And everything that comes along with it, the filth of the earth is rising up. The hostility, the murder, the strife, division is rising up. The occult, everything that is against God is rising up. It's been unleashed. But oh child of God, if you're in Christ, there's hope. There's hope. His return. So focus on His return, you all. Look up. Don't look out. Look up. He's returning. Does not mean you're not going to endure. Oh, you're going to endure. I mean, for God's sakes, our brothers and sisters over in Afghanistan and throughout the earth, but just at the stories that are coming out out of Afghanistan is horrendous. But they're enduring. They're not forsaking Christ. 
This world is not their home. And I told you, before all of this took place, that was the second largest explosion of the church on this earth. Over these past years, the church was growing rapidly over there. And now they're enduring. They're not losing. They're enduring. They're not losing. They're enduring. It's when the church is persecuted, she blossoms. This is the ways of God, you all. Do you know your God? Do you know in which the time that you were called to be have encouraged us? You were purposed for today. You were purposed for all this craziness. You were purposed to be a light, to be truth, to be hope in the midst of darkness. Not because of anything of yourself, but because Christ in you. Christ in you. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus talks about the future. I haven't been able to get away from this portion of Scripture. And again, if you've been around here long enough, you've heard this over and over and over. Jesus talks about the future. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciple pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us when all this will happen. What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them, Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threat of wars. But don't panic. Yes, these things must take place. But the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of birth pains with more to come. These are Jesus' words. He's not painting a beautiful picture. He's not telling them, oh, your life now on earth is going to be marvelous. Oh, no. These are just the beginning of what's coming. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Do you see what's happening? Turmoil. Destruction. Death. Wave after wave after wave after wave. 
and it's just going to continue to increase until His return. But the child of God is not to be quaking in the boots, hiding, afraid. No, there's to be persevering. They're to be using discernment. They're to be living out in understanding and in wisdom. They're to be hopeful in Christ. Because verse 14 is what I've always told you. Just don't focus on what we just heard and how horrible the earth is going to is and will continue to become. Because here's the good news. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. All of this is going to happen, but as all of this is happening, as it looks like the enemy is winning, oh, no, 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 I've got the upper hand. The gospel, the word of hope and freedom concerning me will go forth and be preached throughout the whole entire earth. And you think your Christian life is just to allow you to have whatever you want on this earth. God, bless me, bless me, bless me. God, I don't want to endure. God, get me through this. Oh, come on. You're not to live in a selfish mindset. You're to live with the mind of Christ. He came into the world knowing the world is going to hate him. He came knowing that the cross was set before him what he would have to endure. And he didn't give up. He calls us out of darkness and to his marvelous light. He doesn't take us straight up into heaven. No, no, no. We remain here to bear his image and he prays that the Father would protect us by his name. All of this will happen, but the good news about my kingdom will be preached throughout the earth. He goes on, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, that sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in these days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person would survive. But it will be shortened. For those, for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. The spirit of deception the all-out war for the souls of mankind. <clears throat> and yet it's not taking God by surprise. 
He's sovereign. He's holy. He knows what's going on. But those that have been engrafted into his kingdom, yet though this earth is shaking, can find refuge in the fact that the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. You are secure in Christ. He goes on. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders, as so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen one. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. I wanted to read that again because I wanted you to hear what Jesus says. You see, I have warned you ahead of time. Do not, do not be shocked by the events that are going on. They have to come. They have to come. It has to get worse. Listen, you can't cling to the temporalness of this life. You must cling to Christ and the hope of eternity with Him. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go out and look. Or look, He's hiding here. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures shows, there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven and with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest, farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud, its leaves begin to sprout. You know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. <coughs> Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the meal. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You must also be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. Did you hear Jesus' words? You must be ready all the time. Yes, a faithful, sensible servant 
is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place where the hypocrites, <clears throat> with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These are Jesus' words. And I know we like to make him out to be this weird spiritual teacher that he just passes out hugs and muffins. But no, y'all, he is God. He knows the days that are approaching. He is sharing it to his disciples. It is captured into the living word of God for the church to read. Not to be afraid of, but to be hopeful of. Because our hope is in him. Are you ready? Are you enduring? Are you clinging to Christ? Are you hoping in Christ? He goes on, verse chapter 25, the stories of the bridesmaids. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they all roused by a shout, by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. The five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourself. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. <coughs> Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside. Circle that. Highlight that. Look at that, their position. They were outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day and the hour of my return. Those who are sitting among the church, thinking that they're in it, just using Christ, religious, Doing the works, doing the works, doing the works, but not even being known by Christ. How sad. How sad that that's people's position. They called him Lord. Lord. Let us in. But they were on the outside. And he says to them, I don't know you. And that doesn't make him a bad God. Remember, you can't point your finger at God. There's no error found in him. The error is found in us, the created. 
Either you are in Christ or you're not. Either you're fully satisfied with Christ or you're not. This is a spiritual life that you're living. You can't just have one foot in and one foot out. You can't be all about the temporalness of life and then I'll, I'll spend a little time at church when I'm able to show up. Or maybe you're very diligent. You're at church every time the door is open. And yet you're not even of Christ. How sad. You say, well, how do I know that I know that I'm in Christ? How are you living? What fruit's coming from your life? Faith without works is dead. Your works does not produce salvation. Salvation comes from Christ. But your faith in Christ, salvation in Christ, produces works within you for His kingdom. Are you kingdom-minded? Not religious-minded, not rule-minded, not doing works-minded, but are you kingdom-minded? Are you prepared for the coming of Christ? Oh, if He came tonight, where would He find you? If He came this week, where would He find you? Because you can't say to Him, well, I was in church on Sunday. And then you're whoring around with the world when He returns. That's not how it goes. You can't find Scripture anywhere to support that. And God, I know people try. People pervert and twist Scripture. And yet a mul the multitude is going to hell. And only a few were on the road. <laughs> the path of eternal life. Your desire to be good or to be right or to know God does nothing if you have not surrendered to Him and received from Him, you're still on the outside. Do you know Him? Are you in fellowship with Him? And trust me, the enemy is not letting up. He wants to try to throw everything at you. <laughs> the greater is He that is in you than he that is in this world. You were meant for today and for the days to come to be about your father's business. The parable of the three servants. Again, the kingdom of heaven, verse 14, can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it into proportion to, to, in, I'm sorry, to their abilities. He then left and went on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver became to, began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. And the servant to whom 
he had entrusted five bags of silver, came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful, O God, in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibility. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibility. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I know you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they were given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't know, do, do you read Jesus' words? The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by this story, the story that Jesus tells. He distributes and he gives as the Holy Spirit distributes and gifts throughout the church. Each of you are gifted. If you're in Christ, how are you utilizing what has been given to you? How are you being a good steward of what God has given you to advance His kingdom? This last servant listened to the lies of the enemy. The enemy wants nothing more than to paint a horrible picture of God. What a mean God He is. And people are scared of God. And did you hear what Jesus says? But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you do, I harvested crops I didn't plant and gather crops I didn't cultivate. Why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from the servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, but for those who do nothing, 
even what they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless, useless, highlight that, circle that. These are Jesus' words. Now throw this useless servant into other outer, utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God help us. Oh, but I don't like this type of preaching. Give me the good. Just tell me how blessed I'm going to be. Tell me I don't have to do anything. I could just exist and be okay. These are Jesus' words. This is what Jesus taught his disciples. Oh, we should hear them. And we ought not to be afraid, but we ought to be awakened. Like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what have I been doing? What am I, how am I utilizing what I have been given? How am I serving my king? How am I looking forward to his return? How am I finding myself filled with hope and joy in the midst of adversity? In the midst of calamity, when everything else is going astray and people are dropping dead left and right, there's a plague sweeping across the earth. Governments are in upheaval. I mean, look at Australia, look at France, look at Canada, look at what's happening here. Look at Europe, look at Russia, look at China. The whole earth is turned upside down. And we just want to play church. Come on, we got to wake up. We got to wake up. Finally, verse chapter 25, verse 31. The final judgment. Again, these are Jesus' words. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory. Oh, look at that beautiful picture. And all of the angels with Him. <clears throat> then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence. Oh, look at this. And he will separate the people as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit, look at this, the kingdom of prepared for you from the creation of the world. Oh, look at the good news. Look at the hope that is there. And you're not telling anyone about it? You've gone all week and not shared your faith with anyone? You just allow people to live however they want, do whatever they want, or your life is just consumed about yourself. You get up, you go about your business, and you come home. And you're just entertained by anything that can captivate you. And you got people going to hell around you. What are we doing? What are we doing? These are Jesus' words. Then the king will say to those on his right... Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. 
And isn't it marvelous when you hear Christians say, well, not everyone is to evangelize. Not everyone is to tell others about Jesus. What nonsense is that? What nonsense is that? So you may not have a pulpit. So you may not have a position. You have a mouth. You've received salvation. You are in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you're saying nothing? Oh, well, I don't want to offend. I don't want to feel... Oh, come on! Get over yourself. They're going to hell. And that's what I've said to you. It, it fascinates me. The reason why, and this is, this is what I believe is the truth, the reason why people aren't sharing... <clears throat> is that they think everyone is entering into heaven. You don't want to correct your mama. You don't want to correct your daddy. You don't want to correct your grandkids. You don't want to correct your spouse. You don't want to correct this. You don't want to uphold truth. You don't want to say anything. But by God, when they drop dead, oh, they're in heaven. Praise be to God. I'm going to see them again. even know what to say anymore. And I pray that they are in heaven. <laughs> but you sat idly by and you said nothing. Well, they talk about Jesus. They go to church. <clears throat> God help us. We're living in crazy times, you all. Jesus goes on. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me to your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord... When did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me or to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones. Oh, now look at these words. <clears throat> you cursed ones. Into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. <laughs> for I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we never, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked, or sick or in prison, and did not help? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. 
and they will go away to eternal punishment. Oh, but look at this. But the righteous will go into eternal life. This is the hope that we have in Christ. And sometimes it's like beating my head up against the wall. And I've got to remind myself, God, I don't build the church, you do. All we could do is be faithful with what He's given us to sow the seed, to water the seed. It's the Holy Spirit's job to harvest it. But as the days progress, what are you going to be doing? Oh, how I pray that you'll be sowing the seed and watering the seed and praying, being a good steward of all that you've been entrusted with. It is about His kingdom. It is for His glory. It is through His power. It's not time to cower down. It's not time to give in. It's time to rise. It's time to stand. It's time to go forth. And to be about our Father's business. You can't remain silent any longer and then sit at the funeral and say, well, I'll see them in heaven. I'll see them one day. When you know good and well, they never acknowledged Christ. They were selfish servants. They will not be counted among the righteous. Well, they've been in church. Well, they said a little prayer years ago. Well, they've done this and they've done that. And you're making it about their works and not about Christ. Do you understand the enemy, you all? Do you know your enemy? He's out to steal, to kill, and to destroy. To keep you captivated by all the earthly things. And you're not in relationship Christ, who loves you. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, how I pray that you're in Christ, you all. Oh, how I pray that you're in Christ and that you've accepted Christ as your Savior. And listen, we're all at different phases of our maturity in Christ. But don't stay stuck here just because it's comfortable. No, you bet you, you are to be maturing. You're to be growing. You're to be impacting the earth with the good news. Because it's good news, you all. This is good news. This is good news. This chaotic world is not our home. We have the good news to share with others. So we're going to come to this morning. We're going to take communion together. And then we're going to finish out our time in the scriptures. But oh how I pray why the song is being played over us. As we're preparing to take communion. That you just get before God and allow him to search your heart. And if there's active sin in your life that you need to repent of, repent. Turn to Him. Stop listening to the lie of the enemy of what a bad Christian I am. No, stop it. Turn to Christ. His arms are open. He wants to receive us. 
He's not stiff-arming us. So know your God. Know how much you are dearly loved. And that He's the one who's formed you and He's created you. He is the one who has prepared you and has equipped you for such a time as this. So Norma, would you come and pass out the elements? Allow these words to encourage you, and then we'll pick back up at 1 Samuel.
take this as a symbol of your son's body. Thank you that we have the opportunity to do this, to follow the command to do this in remembrance of you. So as we take it, God, we remember the example of Christ. We remember his broken body. We remember that it was done on our behalf so that we could spend eternity for you, with you, in Jesus' name. Take the bread. Dodo, would you pray with a cup? Jesus, we thank you for your blood that you freely um, spilled in order to cleanse us from our sins. May we remember the power, Lord, that is in your blood. May we remember the sacrifice that you gave on our behalf, Lord God. And may we always remember that we are cleansed Jesus, Jesus, Amen. Amen. Again, y'all, this is good news. I know sometimes hearing it doesn't sound good, but the reality it is good. It ought not to feel comfortable for a sinner or for the religious. But for those who are in Christ, it's good news. We hear the words of God and we understand, not in through our own selves, but by, the, by the, the, the Holy Spirit working within us, giving us understanding of God's Word. There is hope for those who are in Christ. And if you're, in, if you're not in Christ today, oh, how I pray that you would receive Christ. That you would just come to the understanding as the Spirit Spirit is drawing you in. Don't stiff arm him. <clears throat> Don't turn from him and wall around in your shame and your guilt and your condemnation. No, get up and realize how much God loves you. And it's because of his love that Jesus endured your punishment for you. And three days later, he rose again. He is the Son of God, the Messiah. He has redeemed a people that He will call His own and they will call Him their God. It's great news, you all. So share it. Be encouraged by it. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 29. We're wrapping up on 1 Samuel. We head into 2 Samuel next week. 1 Samuel 29. We're going to read through 31. And we're coming to the end of King Saul's life. And if we remember how it began, and we've seen him lose total control, lost his mind, tormented, and now we see his death. And we see the positioning of David, God's chosen king. A man after God's heart. Not a perfect man, but a man whom God has set aside for himself 
And through David, the Messiah, Jesus, would come. Oh, we need to keep our eyes on Christ as we're reading through the Old Testament. So we pick up here, chapter 29, the entire Philistine army now mobilized at Ahak, and the Israelites camped at the spring in Jezreel. <coughs> as the Philistine rulers were leading out their troops in grounds of hundreds and thousands, David and his men marched at the rear with King Achish. But the Philistines' commanders demanded, What are these Hebrews doing here? <coughs> and Achish told them, This is David, the servant of King Saul of Israel. He's been with me for four years, and I've never found a single fault in him from the day he arrived until today. But the Philistine commanders were angry. Send him back to the town you've given him, they demanded. He can't go into battle with us. What if he turns against us in battle and becomes our adversary? Is there any better way for him to reconcile himself with his master than by handing our heads over to him? Isn't this the same David who, about whom the women of Israel sing in their, in, in their dances? Saul has killed thousands and David his ten thousands? So Achish finally summoned David and said to him, I swear by the Lord that you have been trustworthy, you, you've been a trustworthy ally. I think you should go with me to battle, for I've never found a single flaw in you from the day you arrived until today. But the other Philistine rulers won't hear of it. Please don't get upset, or don't upset them, but go back quietly. What have I done to deserve this treatment, David demanded? What have you ever found in your servant that I can't go and fight the enemies of my lord for the king? I'm sorry, the enemies of my lord, the king. But Achish insisted, as far as I'm concerned, you're as perfect as an angel of God. But the Philistine commanders are free to have you with them in the battle. Now get up early in the morning and leave with your men as soon as it gets light. So David and his men headed back to the land of the Philistines while the Philistine army went on to Jezreel. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town in Ziklag, they found that the Amicalites had, had made a raid into the Negev in Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could not weep no I'm sorry, until they could weep no more. David two wives, his two wives were among those captured. David <clears throat> was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David, look at this found strength and the Lord his God. Highlight that, circle that. But David found strength and the Lord his God. His situation was bleak. It was miserable. But David found strength and the Lord his God. Then he said to Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought, brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after these band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. 
So David and his 600 men set out, and they came to, to the brook Bezor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in the field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisin, for he had everything, sorry, for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong? And where do you come from? David asked him. I am an Egyptian, the slave of Amalekite. He replied, My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from the raiding of the Kirites in the Negev, the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag. Will you lead me to this band of raiders, David asked. The young man replied, If you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines and the land of Judah. David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout the night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites except, escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. Then David returned to the brook Besor and met up with the 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men, and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said, they didn't, go, they didn't go with us, so they can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. But David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike, those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made this decree and regulation for Israel, and it is still followed today. When he arrived at Ziklag, David spent part of the plunder, sent part of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends. Here is a present from you, taken from the Lord's enemies, he said. The gifts were sent to the people of the following towns David had visited. And those towns are listed there. David learned a valuable lesson. David sought the Lord for guidance on his next steps. And what was the lesson? Seek the Lord. And as you seek the Lord, God will restore. I love the hope that we find in Scripture. He's not a God who just abandons us. He's a God who is for us. He's not against us. And if we would just trust in Him, and if we would find our strength in Him and in Him alone, God is for us. 
And David also gives us an example of serving others, not withholding from others. Not to be selfish, but to give. And to give freely. We close here with the death of Saul. Now the Philistines attacked Israel, and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons, and they killed three of his sons. Jonathan was one of them. The fighting grew very fierce around Saul, and the Philistines' archers caught up with him and wounded him severely. Saul groaned to his armor-bearer, Take your sword and kill me before those pagan Philistines come to run me through and taunt me and torture me. But his armor-bearer was afraid and wouldn't do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When his armor-bearer realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died beside the king. So Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and the troops all died together that same day. When the Israelites on the other side of Jezreel Valley and beyond the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their towns and fled. So the Philistines moved in and occupied their towns. The next day, when the Philistines went out to strip the dead, they found the bodies of Saul and his three sons on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off Saul's head and stripped off his armor. Then they proclaimed the good news of Saul's death in their pagan temple and the people throughout the land of Philistia. And they placed his armor in the temple of the Astors, and they fastened his body to the wall of the city of Bethshan. But when the people of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their mighty warriors traveled through the night to Bethshan and took the bodies of Saul and his sons down from the wall. They brought them to Jabesh, where they burned their bodies. Then they took their bones and buried them beneath the tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. The death of King Saul, his army, and his sons. What a tragic end to the first king of Israel. It's the enemy, you all, that comes to steal to kill and to destroy. Saul became prideful. He didn't trust God completely. He used God when it satisfied Saul. And ultimately Saul received this horrible death. Not because of God. But because of his actions. His ruins. And a lot of the things that happen in our lives are caused by our actions, our desires, and they lead to ruins. But your life is not to be lived in ruins. Your life is to be lived in Christ. And the hope of Christ. And the joy of Christ. And that's what I mean by ruins. Not the, the physical, temporal stuff. But when you're in Christ, the hope and the joy that you have. But to live in ruins, not in Christ, 
Oh, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation, the torment, the depression, the oppression, all the junk that comes with it that leads us to make these decisions that lead us further away from God and to the enemy's hands that can only steal from us, kill us, and destroy us. Oh, don't find hope in ruins. You won't find it. Your hope will only be found in Christ. Go to John chapter 11, verse 54. We're going to read through chapter 12, verse 19. John 11, verse 54. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry among the people and left Jerusalem. He went to a place near the wilderness to the village of Ephraim and stayed there with his disciples. It was now almost time for the Jewish Passover celebration, and many people from all over the country arrived at Jerusalem several days earlier so they could go through the purification ceremony before Passover began. They kept looking for Jesus, but as they stood around in the temple, they said to each other, What do you think? He won't come for Passover, will he? Meanwhile, the leading priests and Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so they could arrest him. Again, these were the men who were the men of God of that day, running the temple, overseeing the people of God, and yet they were leading leading them further away from God. And now they're out to arrest Jesus. Chapter 12. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house filled with the fragrance. And there's some controversy on this, um, that people believe that this Mary, the Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, is Mary Magdalene. But it's not. When you read Scripture, you actually will see, scholars have, have pointed out, that there's actually potentially three times that Jesus was anointed. If not three, two after studying and reading through it, I'm of the belief it was two times that he was actually anointed before his crucifixion. And this would have been the second time. So just give you a heads up, if you want to go study that, go this week and study that. Um, But here we are. Then Mary took the 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet wiping his feet with her hair, the house filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. And Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard 
Jesus, I'm sorry, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. But then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through a city, through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Again, we see that prophecy being fulfilled of the Messiah. We go on here, verse 16. His disciples didn't understand at that time that it was that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But Jesus entered into his glory. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, There's nothing we can do. Look. Everyone has gone after him. Praise be to God. There's a move taking place. People are going after Jesus. All because they were being told of what he's done. Oh, that we would go forth and tell others of what Jesus has done. That they may come to know Jesus. To call upon Jesus and be saved. Psalm 118, verses 1 through 18. Psalm 18, verses 1 through 18. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, His faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants and the priests repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, His faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. Amen. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than the trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than the trust in princes. Though hostile nations surrounded me, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded and attacked me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has gone has done 
glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but He did not let me die. Oh, His faithful love you all endures forever. Proverbs 15. Verses 24 through 26. Here's some nugget of wisdom for us as we're wrapping up. Proverbs 15, verse 24 through 26. The path of life leads upward for the wise. They leave the grave behind. The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but He protects the property of widows. The Lord detests evil plans but he delights in pure words. Oh, may the Lord delight in us this day, I pray. I pray that you're encouraged to keep your eyes focused and fixed upon Jesus. And if you have never received Jesus, or if you just hold a form of religion, but yet you're denying the power of God and you feel the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ, would you accept Christ as your Savior? It's a simple belief. Your eyes have been opened. You recognize Him for who He is. That you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. That you will have a belief and a confession that He is the Son of God and that He rose from the dead. And in so, with that understanding and that belief and confession, you recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And you just humble yourself before Him and receive the forgiveness and the freedom that He comes to offer to His people. And that then then you would get up from there and that you would be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then you would be discipled into His truth that you will learn to obey all of His commands. For goodness knows, for God knows that we are in a time that righteousness needs to be raised up and that we need to push back against the forces of darkness and declare the goodness of our God. I'm going to close this with this last song and then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, you are.
Oh,